What do you get when Emma Roberts and Aquafina get thrown into a sci-fi dystopian refinement school for wayward girls? Lots of surprises, twists, and Mila Jovovich to boot. On this special episode of The Con Guys Show, we are privileged to have Alice Waddington in the studio with us, the talented director of the Sundance breakout hit Paradise Hills, which just opened up in theaters this past weekend. Thank you. We're going to have a great show this week. Welcome to Popcorn Talk, featuring movie discussion, news, and interviews. Popcorn Talk. We talk movies. And now, here's Popcorn Talk's The Con Guy Comic-Con Prep Show. Welcome to The Con Guy Comic-Con Prep Show, your home for insider news, interviews, and opinions on (laughs) Comic-Cons, movies, popular culture, fandoms, and growing up, we're fans. You're fans. Let's be friends. Thank you, everybody. Speaking of friends, we have a great room full of people that you are our new best friend because we've been talking with um, Alice... She loves cosplay, she loves sci-fi, she loves everything we love. Thank you so much for being a guest on our show today. Yay, thank you so much for having me. All I right. appreciate it. Who else do we have in the room today? Well, I'm Cheeseman with a mustache. Actually, Cheeseman on the couch. I do have my temporary mustache for Halloween, which is started this weekend and then will also be this week. So, got to keep the mustache because I'm Hopper from Stranger Things. But uh, Cheeseman on the couch with theconguy.com. And I'm Ben Cleaver, and oh, oh, I get applause. Applause, applause. It's like I'm on a sitcom. Uh, Mr. Hollywood and, star. Oh, it's true. I uh, I was also going to be Hopper for Halloween, and uh, but I had to shave because I was on set this week. Um, Very exciting. And they wanted me clean shaven. Um, but, and then we were going to go to a Halloween party on Saturday night, but my poor wife, Brianna, who I love so much, got a terrible case of food poisoning. Mm. And uh, so we had to stay home. We weren't able to make it to the party, and uh, it's just been a crummy weekend for her. So I feel I feel bad, and and here I am abandoning her. Uh, <laughs> I'm so sorry, <laughs> but she got a chance to, to see the film. Though. She did, but that's the thing. We didn't go to the yeah. party on Saturday night, so we got to watch Alice's wonderful film, which yep. we both enjoyed thoroughly. Alice so. in Wonderland. Uh, yes. Alice's wonderful. Alice in Wonderland is what you just called it. Wonderful film. <laughs> you said Alice in Wonderful. Too, so. But oh, there you go. I just oh went God. there. Yeah. Before we go any further, we do want to find out a little bit about Alice for people who may not have heard. Of, of you before, but you have, you've been in the business for quite a while, haven't you? Yeah, yeah I'm an old lady, you know, uh, I started, <laughs> I started, yeah, I'm, so... t- I'm 21 now, I'm 21 now, I'm 29 now, <laughs> so I'm 29 now, and uh, I started to be on set when I was 16 years old, uh, mm-hmm. and I began working on like music videos and films and ads uh, roughly around that, that age, so yeah, I've been also... A team head for a while. Um, and you were not, I mean, you were working in film, but you were yeah. also working in photography and yeah. costuming and cosplay and yeah. all kinds of stuff. Like, you, your interests are all over the place, which is great. <laughs> how, I mean, how did your parents keep a hold of all that? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, they were very interested in what I was doing. I have to say that my mom was very supportive. She's a child psychologist, so she was always like, this is great, honey, keep doing it. <laughs> so there, no, she was wonderful. She used the chance with cosplay and to teach me how to sew, sew basically, mm-hmm. and that was really useful to me. Uh, and also, she supported my nerdiness. You know, like they've been um, loving genre film. They've been loving a horror film since they were really young. My dad had actually a revolutionary film club when he was really? <laughs> at uni. Yeah, during the Franco dictatorship, he would play uh, films that were banned, that were uh, you know British and French films. So you know, we watched nice. Blade Runner together for the first time. Wow, so, a hey. revolutionary in yeah. our midst. Look there at this. Yes. This is fantastic. <laughs> It was such a hippie, yeah. <laughs> um, so, 
I you um you also have a film, and we're going to be talking. And the, for those of you who are, are tuning in, we are going to we're, we're introducing you right now to Alice Waddington. At towards the the second half of the show, we're going to talk all about Paradise Hills, her brand new film, which is in theaters right now, comes out on digital and on demand November first, which is this coming Friday. So make sure you guys pay attention and make sure you download or go to the theaters and see that film. Go to the theaters and see it. It's a great film. So, um, you also. Well, first of all, my question is, can you tell us a little bit about where you're from and and, and, sure. and your journey? Yeah, so I'm from Bilbao, which is a small town in the north of Spain. Most of my family has a rural origin, so my parents were kind of like some of the best, the first in their family to begin working in the city. Mm-hmm. Um, and as I was saying, mom's a psychologist, that's a teacher. <laughs> and uh, yeah, I, I just love film since I was very young, and we were just talking about how many features I watched with them when I was younger. Uh, you know, the first time that I saw A Clockwork Orange, it was with them. The first time that I saw Blade Runner, as I was saying. The first time that I saw Metropolis, which is my mom's favorite film. It was all together. Metropolis we is your mom's about, favorite film? I know. It's kind of cruel to play that for a 12-year-old. How old were you when you saw Clockwork Orange? 16, yeah. Okay, and she, was like, she was like, this isn't as radical as I remember. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Blade Runner, too. I mean, you're wow. you're naming off like the biggies up there, mm-hmm. yeah. And yeah, they play them all for me. Uh, and uh, again, because I was pretty nerdy and I was cosplaying since I was 12 years old, uh, I got to watch Akira when I was very young, mm-hmm. and I got to watch Ghost in the Shell. There are some pictures up there somewhere in the internet of me cosplaying Motoko Kusanagi <laughs> when I was that age. So yeah, definitely a lot of that, lots of um, Korean and, and Japanese manga. Mm-hmm. Very cool. <laughs> All, right. All right. Well, we're we're going to jump wait, into a. Oh, wait, wait. wait. One, one second. One yes, second. Yes. It says here right. that your first film was a short called Disco yes. Inferno, yes. and I desperately want to know about it. Oh, you're talking about that. Sure. So you know, I couldn't go to film school because my parents couldn't afford it. So I basically studying advertising, and I went to you know to Madrid to start working. I wanted to work in some agencies, and I realized that being paid like one hundred and eighty dollars a month wasn't a great idea. <laughs> Wow. It was like, you know, it was a financial crisis. It was 2018 when I was yep. 18. So um, I uh, met Nacho Vigalondo while I was doing that and like at the same time working like retail and other stuff like that. Uh, I met Nacho Vigalondo and he played uh, Judex by George Franju for me, which is a 1965 um, horror slash fantasy film. Uh, and I realized that masked Avenger features and, and series have existed since longer than I had known. And he played Levin as well for me which is like a 1920s serial uh, as well in the style of like mask avenger, avenger lady uh, and it was really fascinating and I wanted to like pay homage to that while still you know bringing hopefully something kind of new so I did this Inferno 2015 and uh, I brought uh, a project called Paradise Hills to the fantastic market in Austin as well uh, after that and uh, we won like best directing for disco that year and then that project uh, uh, sort of won second best feature project of the market there, so we be- began developing it. Yeah. I, yeah. What is? Can you tell us just briefly what is Disco Inferno about? <laughs> so it is about a wary Helminion that's like on a mission to rescue her boss. It's very sort of giallo slash 1960s, 70s horror and fantasy. Giallo Ar- Argento. 
sort of yeah sort of Dario Argento mm. Lucia Fulci that sort of world of like you know Mediterranean actors dubbed to English that was our vibe nice. <laughs> folks we have an intelligent filmmaker in our midst today this is great this is great well we Thank are you. going to that. we're going to go over a little bit of news here for mm. the for the rest of us <laughs> and then we're going to jump back to cool. um, Paradise Hills which is your big film which is just opening up this weekend so Ben there are a couple of events that people can get involved with, right? Exactly. I don't know whether I'm at two or one here, but <laughs> in keeping with the name of the show, Con Guy, let's let's go ahead and cover these, and then we'll get back to Alice. Uh, so, uh, bulletin board this week. Here are cons that are coming up. Oh, I'm on this one. Here are cons coming up. November 1st through 3rd, the Big Easy Con in New Orleans, Louisiana. Uh, also November 1st through 3rd, Rhode Island Con in Providence, Rhode Island. November 8th through 10th, Grand Rapids Comic Con in Grand Rapids, Michigan. And November 16th and 17th, New England Super Mega Fest Comic Con. That's a mouthful. Yeah. <laughs> That's in Farmingham, Farmingham, Massachusetts. So there you go. And also just a little bit of news about the big one here on the West Coast, San Diego Comic Con. The returning registration for SDCC 2020 happened on October 12th, so that is closed. If you did not get in then, you will have to wait until general registration opens up. We don't know when that will be yet. Press registration ends this coming Friday, November 1st. Did you hear that, Brad? Yeah, Brad. You gotta register by then. I wonder if Brad's actually watching right now. He, no, he, he commented. He did it oh, really he, already? Yeah. He said, nice. oh, Ben. You're not sitting there oh, watching ben. Wendy Williams, Brad? Oh, ben. You're not, yeah. <laughs> is he watching Wendy right now? He's probably switching back and forth. Also, registration for is now open for exhibitors, small press, fan tables, and artist alley. Also, returning volunteer registration ended October 7th. October was a busy month for registrations, but daily registrations are still happening. So that's our little bit of Comic-Con news that we have. Is What, what is Brad commenting on? Uh, he just said, oh, Ben. Okay. That's, that's all he said so far. <laughs> He's got a mad crush on me. It's yeah. okay. Have you ever been to a Comic-Con? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah, she yeah. She cosplayed, well, man. Of course she's been oh, to that's great. So, yes. <laughs> and this was actually before it was sort of in fashion to do photo shoots mm-hmm. for, for cosplay. So we sort of... The way that those cosplays live was we you went there and you were there and you were just excited to be there. Yeah. <laughs> so my first con was when I was like twelve and a half, I want to say it was a local um, one uh, in the Basque Country, in Bilbao. Actually, it was called uh, Jornadas de Motucora. It's like uh, oh that one from my oh yes of course. <laughs> <laughs> Can you imagine? It blow my mind. <laughs> and it was uh, you know from my uh, uh, sort of comic books club that I was at. You were in a comics was, books club? Yeah, when I was like to have something <laughs> to have uh, and uh, yeah it was basically like a way for all of us to get together from all over Spain essentially but there was a cosplay context and uh, yeah actually we were talking about Akira earlier the first Akira DVD that I ever won <laughs> was <laughs> at a cosplay context I was cosplaying um, there I can't remember her name but the protagonist of the Tarot which is like this sort of like made cafe thing uh, that I love when I was younger yeah <laughs> it was a comic book yeah that's awesome. That is great. Now, we are going to jump into, now, we're going to talk about Paradise Hills, which is the whole reason that you are here with us today. And let me yeah, do a sure. little bit of a little description of the film, and then I know Ben was texting me about how much he liked it, so I'll let Ben kind of <laughs> cool. take some of it from there. All right. Uma, that's the, your lead mm-hmm. character, she wakes up in an apparently idyllic school for young ladies <laughs> called Paradise. This yeah. is on IMDb. Nice. It's meant to be. It's meant to reform her and her new friends, but mm-hmm. there is a darker secret hidden behind its walls. 
And that's all we're going to give away right now. Anyways, <laughs> it has a pretty remarkable cast. Emma Roberts, Aquafina, Mila Jovovich, as we said. And who else is in the ca- Oh, I have it right here. I guess I could have. Daniel McDonald as well. Uh, and, uh, yeah, Isa uh, Gonzalez. So, yeah, I, like, I love them so much. Yeah. <laughs> You want me to talk about them? Of course. So uh, my experience working with them was astonishing because this is my first film, you Mm -hmm. know? Uh, And uh, as a first feature filmmaker, it was just a privilege. And every single one of them brought something that was memorable to the character. For example, you know, Danielle, who was fresh off of her Sundance uh, success with uh, Patty Cakes, um, does this, like, incredible action scenes on top of her dramatic skills, which, like, when they end, the crew just sort of spontaneously (laughs) Emma was the second one to sign on and you know she has this bravery that sort of like grips you in the beginning and like doesn't like go until the end Emma's fantastic lots of charisma lots of charisma I love her Um, you know Aitha obviously with her uh, being Latina I connect with her because that's part of my heritage and she has these uh, elements in common with her professional life uh, of wanting to do something creatively that wasn't necessarily what she was being allowed to make Mm -hmm. that I also was interested in um, and Mila, of course, is uh, such a character actress, uh, and she sort of has such a good time with, in this film. And uh, it's sort of wrong for me to say, but like, it's one of my favorite roles that she has played like in the last years. I'm really fond of. Oh, her. that's not wrong for no. you to say. That's yeah. perfect for you to say. Yeah. <laughs> but she enjoys it so much, and there is so much joy in what she's doing there. Uh, have she's, some pictures up there. Yeah, she's just having a blast, and I appreciate it. And. Uh, you know, there's also a Aquafina who wasn't sure about playing a dramatic role necessarily because she was fresh off of um, shooting Crazy Rich Asians, but it wasn't out yet. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, she was about to shoot the farewell, farewell in which obviously that's such a right. dramatic role. Yeah. So it was when we saw her on set, it was like, what were you worried about? Like, you are such a natural, just so good at this. I don't know. There's I could be here for hours talking about that, honestly. Before before we go any further, though, I do want to introduce somebody very important to the program, Ryan Nilsson, who is in the booth with us. Hey. Hello, Ryan. Hey, guy. Hey, how are we doing? So excited to have Alice in the studio right now. I, I'm just Thank so excited you. about any up-and-coming filmmakers, mm-hmm. uh, especially with a film like this. I mean, this is such a special... you got an incredible cast. It's mm-hmm. just really refreshing to see. Um, I'm, I'm really curious to hear more about just the pitch process and how you got all these people. Like, I know Aquafina's really had a heck of a past yeah. year and a half with uh, Crazy Rich Asians and 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 just in all of her success this year. I'm just really curious uh, what, what what was the process like when you were you're pitching this movie? You're trying to convince people to get on. Yeah. And what were like the trials and tribulations with that? Mm, that is such a good question, and I feel like that is something that you know first-time filmmakers always want to know, um, and screen and screenwriters. And uh, it's hard, you know, to get your foot in the door. I guess that uh, just to recover the story that I was talking about earlier, when I was at Fantastic Fest, uh, I was just privileged enough to you know meet Guillermo del Toro, and that was kind of the fairy tale aspect of all of this because I had sent him the short, but it was <laughs> like he didn't answer, and I was instead of instead of being worried about that or instead of being self conscious about it I just sat by him like in the space that was reserved for artists that's fantastic we both had films in a way there so that was like a connection already and I told him out of the blue like I sent you my shirt and you didn't answer it's so awful please don't do that to like Guillermo Toro or any other stylish creators that you love but like for some reason I guess like I haven't drunk in like six years but that was the moment in which I was drinking <laughs> there you <laughs> go was, tell was, the truth 
that was like liquid courage that was yeah. Liquid, yeah that was like the liquid courage of it and i was like listen and and uh he he said he remember actually and he was like oh actually i saw it but i was in this country and i didn't have this streaming service can you send it to me again so i sent him the file of course i was like your motor is not gonna pirate my film uh and <laughs> <laughs> and uh I, would I have said, been a, a big compliment if he did yeah. i said wait wait i will have a honor and like just put it on netflix uh i and i i i you know, I talked to him about it. Uh, he liked it. He liked the references. And he was like, I'm going to introduce you to my manager and my agent. And so he did. And uh, that was really the, 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 you know, the turn of all of it. Because uh, my manager and agent uh, introduced me to uh, my producers, to Nuria Valls and Adrián Guerra in uh, Barcelona, doing Sitges, the Fantastic Film Festival, where the short, oh, sorry, where the short also was. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, we, we had the short in a very small category there, like a Discovery one, and we just played for, like, 1,200 people. So it's been quite quite a change. And, uh, and yeah, I, I met them. They liked the film. I brought Nacho Vigalondo into the project because he inspired the short, obviously, and uh, they brought in uh, Ryan DeLeo, who works in the gender space as well, uh, with Daniel Is Unreal, which is, uh, you know, in festivals um, right now. Mm -hmm. And uh, that was really the process uh, until um, we started developing the story, and I was like, this is a thriller, this is a science fiction thriller, it has supernatural elements, we have to define the style. Uh, so, okay, we have tropical science fiction thriller, then what else? Who do we love for this story? So, basically, the actors that I pitch for each role, like, they're all in the film, in the sense that they, they, our favorite, like, seven or eight lists are, are they're older and uh, yeah I just made this presentation because I come from concept art like in, in advertising in video games and I just made this presentation for them uh, and they, they they like it you know it had references to other films it had um, references for the direction of photography mm -hmm. it had um, just like a character guide for them not to get lost in it uh, and uh, the concept pieces I guess maybe impress them and they were like we want to be in this world and I was like alright <laughs> Ben I know you said that the film really st stuck out for you you really enjoyed it oh absolutely yeah and I think um, with at least the, the types of films that I generally watch yeah. I think the the use of kind of the Alice in Wonderland visual and the references mm -hmm. at times um, they're, they're used a lot and so anymore it takes a very controlled hand to make it effective yeah. because everybody wants to use that kind of imagery yeah. and once I you know we started watching it and I started seeing the costumes and Mila Jovovich's character coming in and I'm like oh this is Alice in Wonderland <laughs> but it's not it's not like you guys didn't go in there and go Alice in Wonderland get it like the imagery was just there and it was it was really well done. I was really impressed with. I didn't that. get that till you just said this, and now yeah. Oh yeah. How'd you know? I, I mean, maybe I'm just like uh, looking for. Stop it. it. I don't know, but he's gonna uh, say maybe he's a little bit smarter. Maybe maybe, uh, maybe I'm smarter than you, Jim. We'll take but, that. We'll oh, take that. Yeah. It's not guys. It's okay. <laughs> I mean, you know, even Mila's first scene, you walk in and she's like clipping roses and that sort of thing. And I'm like, okay, this is, I can tell, like, I already kind of don't trust her a little yeah. bit. But like, um, but the costumes even yeah. really read that for me. And I was, I wanted to ask, like, the costuming for this, it was just, the whole thing was shot visually, it was just stunning. Yeah. My wife and I loved it. 
But yeah. and they're both cosplayers, and they have lots of cosplay hey. fans. So <laughs> they go into detail with cosplay. Oh yeah, so. definitely. And nice. and so the costuming was was yeah. awesome. And then I also want to talk about where you shot this because that that yeah. it was gorgeous. Yeah. But mm. the film was visually stunning. But so you kind of did. You were telling us before the show that you kind of did some scrapbooking or, or not scrapbooking. What's yeah, the word? That's I'm looking fine. Was yeah, it scrapbooking? That's it, yeah. Um, for what you kind of wanted the visual of the costuming yeah. to look like, yeah. can you talk a little bit more about costume design and and who like who helped out and all that kind of stuff? Yeah, and just to answer your question about Mila, like her references, I would show her a lot of uh, you know like Delphine Seyrig in Daughters of Darkness, like a lot of John Crawford in the nineteen forties. Oh wow! Yeah, that was yeah, sort of yeah, yeah, I yeah. I do this like really nerdy thing, which I put together a reel for each actress. And oh, if we're awesome. pitching, yeah, and if we're pitching to, you know, to uh, Chinese actors, I will put together a reel just with Chinese actresses and then like some other races, some other uh, oh, gender in the end. But like um, at the same time, uh, once they're cast, we go over all of these references so that they don't have to like watch the entire film. It's like, no, I don't like the entire film. I want these two scenes that you may love. So I put them together. And, like, I like oh, that's um, awesome. Yeah. And I, I feel like actors, you know, enjoy that. And it sort of helps us. It, it be on the same page and be yeah. like, oh, you're taking this as seriously as I am. You know, like yeah, if, I would love that. Yeah, like if you if you take right because you're not like if you take all of these hours to make this real, and if you take like the time to write a backstory, which is obviously something mm-hmm. that some actors want to do themselves. Mm-hmm. Um, you just have to ask them. I have them, and I just like take them into account when I'm on set. But maybe some of them don't want them. Just like some actors, you know, want notes uh, during the first take, and some others don't. Or some actors right. just want to be told what they're doing wrong. Where well, oh there's <laughs> not wrong, but like Mila, for example, is like that. Uh, and I feel like that's very related to to her. You know, for example, having a partner who is a director. She's like, only mm. tell me what I do wrong, quote unquote. Right. Most actors obviously are not like that, and uh, a lot of actors want like the first two takes to themselves, you know, mm-hmm. and like just experiment and try, and then maybe you can direct it. But anyway, yeah, sure, that that was it's very important to be working with actors. And regarding the costumes, which are also part of the characterization, also oh, part of the character, also part of how well they can get into the yeah, like the psyche, right, yeah. the, of the character. Mm, especially our references were, were all over the place in a good way like in a sort of very millennial way right. like yeah. nothing was sort of forbidden like oh don't go there please right. <laughs> no, it was it was more like what do you like like what do you want what have you always wanted to make uh, if you were creating like a colorful fantasy world mm-hmm. and we love you know Donkey Skin by Jacques Demi we love for example like European a European films is like a retelling of, of the fairy tale uh, and uh, we loved uh, the Drotsman's Contract we loved in obviously like Logan's Run obviously The Prisoner a did lot you of say it, Logan's Run? yeah oh. yeah. oh that's such a great callback yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I love that she referenced so, The Prisoner which yeah. is also yeah, yeah, yeah. awesome and a lot of the film is just like how are we going to take these like hyper masculine hyper sexy uh, ideas of uh, uh, the 70s like of what science fiction mm-hmm. uh, was like or still is like in some ways and how are we going to like make something for like younger girls that maybe you know didn't grow up seeing themselves in those stories mm-hmm. and they also like have the right to, to do so and uh, this is a film I feel like that can be enjoyed by both men and women and like young people male or female but at the same time it, I really made it for like my younger self that like, I was a bullied kid that like escaped to these parallel universes mm-hmm. and you know like Love of the Rings or like never ending story but couldn't see herself in those stories so mm-hmm. yeah that's Fantastic. all part of one. Oh, I love that. <laughs> I, I, and that's one thing I did want to talk about a little bit was like mm. um there's a 
on the surface, yeah. like I, let's just let everybody know, this is a very riveting tale about a, kind of like a, a refining school, a prep yeah. school for girls, uh, wayward girls who her their parents or whomever have put them here to try to get them to be better. Yeah. Like in Emma's character, what, what's her character's name again? Uma. 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 Yeah. Uma. And Uma, <clears throat> her mom wants her to marry a guy that's a, apparently, uh, from all intents and purposes, a really terrible person. Mm. Slimy rich guy. Slimy rich guy. <laughs> and she does not want to do it. She's already got her own boyfriend. She's got a life she wants to live. But so it's like this tug of war between what her parents want, what society wants, and what's on the outside. However, this the, the movie goes pretty deep on some pretty deep issues there as well. Can you talk a little bit about some of those issues that the movie's going into? No, totally. I like, listen, as I was saying, this film is meant to lose yourself in the dark. It's meant to just like go along with it, like, you know, like a Fellini film for kids. I always joke because it's like, <laughs> because it's like, it's like, where does the film want to take me instead of what are my expectations of this narrative, right? Or of these stories or of these references. Uh, so it's my way of, of doing that. And it's also, uh, uh, my way of saying if you look sort of if you dig for those themes you are going to find them like we were discussing earlier how for example uh, there is a lot about uh, colonization in the film for example there is a lot about uh, appropriation of other cultures for example like the Duchess dresses in a way that is you know very much uh, performatively Asian a lot of times but then like the first character that she sort of becomes violence again is an Asian American woman mm. so those kinds of things uh, are, are sort of uh, less on the surface but what is very plain to see is how it talks about the pressures on a young people that we're putting on so uh, I have cousins that are like 12 13 14 years old and uh, they they have like this device in their hands that is essentially telling them that they're never going to be like beautiful enough or like you know popular enough or perfect enough right at the end of the day so it was my way of telling them that even I feel that pressure when I like log into my image based social networks I guess um, and my way of, of telling them that they don't have to change for other people they have to like find the people that are going to love them for who they actually truly are so that's like the main thing for me it's mm-hmm. at the end of the day it's about personal freedom and what is your definition of personal freedom mm-hmm. like it doesn't matter what your parents want from you what like your partner male or female wants for you or your friends even want for you sometimes it's like what do you want to do what mm-hmm. do you want to become that's all. can I ask you a quick question on that yeah so, you know, I thought this film was had a lot to say about, uh, like, social class. Yeah. But um, hearing you talk about it right now and just hearing the, the personal yeah. uh, connection and relationship you had to the film, it sounds a lot like it's about someone kind of figuring out who they are, or coming to terms, with, or becoming comfortable with themselves. Mm, um, mm. Would you? I just wanted to hear you speak on that a little bit more yeah. in that uh, when you're in this story, it's someone being put in a school to be reformed yeah. and become something that other people want you to become when at the end of the day it's you figuring out what you want to be was that you said growing up you you had you couldn't you didn't have the luxury to go to film school um and you might have been felt like you Mm. were put into a box is that yeah is that what you were kind of putting into this film absolutely that is such a good question and it's such a good way of putting it as well because um yeah i Definitely don't come from that sort of privilege of like being able to just follow my dreams, you know, like it's so easy to say, like, just do what you want, just follow your dreams. But like, if you don't have any money or if, you know, your family doesn't have any contacts in that context, Mm -hmm. how are you supposed to do it? So there is a reading of the film that can also go in the sense of uh, uh, 
accumulating wealth is not the answer to those troubles either. Like you need to have a strong sense of self that is self-defined and no one is going to hand that to you. No one is going to figure out your identity for you. You need to uh, uh, find out who you are and also you need to understand that uh, a, if you're a creator, for example, like I am regarding that question, you're going to have it tougher than other people if you don't have that extra sort of help. Yeah. Um, yeah. Don't exactly. we know it? <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Now, can you talk about the cinematography? Because it was yeah. just like beautifully done, the shots and all that kind of stuff. Like, yeah. was there any like influences that you had for that, or what was your direction with your cinematographer? Interesting. So the director of photography is uh, Josuin Chaustegui, who is a pretty well-known Spanish uh, one. Uh, I adore him. He's from my hometown as well, which was really important to like the close dialogue that we needed to have very often. Um, yeah, he's such such a soft man. I love him very much. And uh, it was it was very easy to work with him. And specifically, it was very cool to see him, someone with so much experience. I have been working since before I was born, like much of the crew. Just be able to absorb the references that I was sort of throwing his way and make them his. Uh, for example, we use a lot of uh, painting cat hanging rock, daughters of the dust. Uh, but also, as I was saying earlier, we had a ton of uh, hard sci-fi or also uh, classical horror like from Hammer Films like the British uh, film company from the 1960s and 70s like I love the Abominable Doctor Fives for example and I would <laughs> use that as a color scheme ref all the time also obviously Logan's Run is a color yeah. reference but like regarding the historical references that I was mentioning in the first two is more about like uh, soft Hughes, like sort of Frederick, Edwin Church, just romantic sea painting. It's just a ton of different references that could come together to form something uh, uh, with an approach that was, I guess, more feminine that we had seen before, perhaps, in science mm -hmm. fiction. And I always value when people ask me about, like, the direction of photography or the costumes, specifically when men do it, because it's like, oh, cool, like, they're curious about them. That means that they have understood the place that they have in the story and they have understood the references that we have to like uh, you know female institutionalization of like the 1950s 1960s but also to you know previous costume designers that were important to us such as i don't know eiko ishioka for example uh, who did the cell uh, was very important to us also uh you know contemporary designers like alexander Mc mcqueen iris van harpen who is a woman that does a lot of sci-fi as well as a designer you know all of that is definitely there in the mix visual <laughs> yeah it was, it was just beautiful thank and you. just a beautiful world that was built yeah thank yeah. you so much i appreciate it to tag on to that where did you shoot this because yeah. the sets are unbelievable <laughs> like yeah, the you. visuals were amazing yeah because so uh, obviously some of them were i'd imagine some of them were soundstage but a lot of it was on location where where was yeah. that yeah totally and listen i'm a big proponent of like practical effects and i'm a big proponent of uh, physical sets is not a cliche that it like gives uh, and you know this as well that it gives actors such a context oh, yeah, to absolutely. know where you are literally yeah. which is such an important part of being present right mm. uh, so uh, 
there's only two digital locations in the film, which is the opening and the closing scenes at the ballroom. Mm-hmm. Uh, that is a fully digital space that is like oh, wow. a green screen the size of a football field almost with like 150 extras just like multiplied <laughs> to look like there's 300, but not digitally. Like literally we'll like scoot them all over to one side <laughs> and then it will be like, okay, don't move the camera. Everyone go to the other side. Like, nice. it was, like there's a lot of practical effects like that mixed with really like sophisticated um I mean, you have a flying car in there. Yeah, yeah, there you go. Or hovering. Yeah, yeah. the hover car was yeah. pretty cool. That is, for example, that is a real car. Like, that is a real 1930s car. We just removed the wheels, but we obviously had to shoot, like, the empty plate and then the mm-hmm. car again. And some parts of the car right. obviously had to be reconstructed. Um, yeah, the, the flying car was an important part of the world building because it's, like, one of the few chances that we get to actually see the world outside of the island, outside of Paradise. Right. So that was that was a cool thing, too. I always wanted to do the flying car. So there we go. That was cool. I, I like um, it. As a Back to the Future yeah. fan, I love yeah, there flying you go. cars. Yeah, there you go. I think, yeah, yeah. We, we all do. We're like, yeah, Back to the Future, of course, the OGs. Uh, anyway, so regarding the rest of it, uh, the other digital set in the film is uh, when you see the island from the sea, which was impossible to do, you know, practical, because what do you do? Like, you build an entire island from the sea. <laughs> we only have $9 million of a budget. Like, this is an independent film, believe it or not. So for, we had to be really careful. Really quick, for those of you listening yeah. or watching right now, $9 million is considered low, shoestring low. Yeah. like for for a, a major motion picture yeah, especially what's, for how grand this mm, one seems you know like a absolutely. great gatsby did you say kind of nine million that's it yeah that's what's spent yeah. on a beer commercial and you guys <laughs> yeah. made an yeah. incredible film out of that yeah actually funnily enough it's the same budget as logan's run and adjusted to inflation that was in the same we are breaking news right here you had the same budget as logan's run which was an inspiration for this film a lot of it yeah 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 it's that's so funny but I have to say that like, adjusted to inflation it would be so much more but oh, that was right. 9 million in the 70s like it was reported as like oh my gosh they spent 9 million dollars in this film <laughs> right. that is insane and now it's like as you say it's like really really shoestring really really yeah. basic so we had a lot of meetings of like what's the cheapest option here guys like don't bullshit me like just tell me <laughs> what do you want to like what what is the cheapest one so that I am not like the person that goes over budget here mm-hmm. right. um, really honest meetings and also really great production design team a production designer Laia Colette with uh, with an old Spanish team as well um, yeah that, that was it and then uh, the real locations some people when they watch the film are like oh this is all digital because it's right. such an insane sort it's, of like brutalist yeah it's gorgeous with yeah. the arches and yeah. all that kind of stuff where, where is it I must know <laughs> I must go to be the problem there <laughs> exactly. um, yeah I know I, uh, I love it as well it's a brutalist uh, architectural studio it's actually two architectural studios belonging to a Corbero a Javier Corbero who is um, a architect of the time of the late 60s and then like all of the lush gardens that you got um, those are like three or four different gardens in the Mediterranean coast we have I, I want to say we have like 43 locations or something like that so it's again oh, it's wow. quite a lot of logistical yeah. like aspirations for a first film yeah <laughs> yeah that's I mean for being a first time feature for yeah. you uh, yeah that's unbelievable yeah. like I, I my hat's off to you that's incredible Thank like, you. I didn't know what I was getting into <laughs> <laughs> for real like I was like oh it's how the best films are made she's like I jumped in and then I was there yeah, yeah. <laughs> Hey, I've got a quote that I found mm-hmm. on IMDb, yeah. you know, the ever-resourceful IMDb that you said. It said, women, myself included, yeah. want to direct science fiction. They want to direct action films. Yeah. They want to direct creature features. These yeah. world's characters are most 
most memorable traits are normative, normatively feminine. They drive to care, or their drive to care, their world's characters, their drive to care, their passion, their willingness to adapt to survive. And whether your story is set in a parallel universe or at the 7-Eleven around the corner, without empathy for your characters at a universal emotional core in each sequence, you've got no movie. Why do you love science fiction? Uh, <laughs> as I was saying earlier, it's all a family affair. Like, we just love, you know... Our audience loves stars. that you love science yeah, fiction. Yeah. This is great. That's awesome. No, yeah. I, I, it's really a family thing. Like, my mom was genuinely a science fiction nerd. And my dad loves, a, you know, like, just social realism stuff. So I guess put them together and just we just watch Children of Men a bunch of times. <laughs> <laughs> oh, <laughs> oh, yeah. Well, there you yeah. go. That's so that's a, a reason, yeah. That's a trippy movie. I, I found myself watching Paradise Hills, and for about the first third of the film, each new scene that pops up, I just found myself going, what the f***? You know, like, <laughs> what you. is I going on? It. Like, Thank you. And, but it was cool. And, like, uh, when she wakes up uh, mm. in the second scene, when she wakes up and she's in the robe and everything. Mm. And then I was like, does she have poop stains on her robe? What is that? But I don't know if that's what it was or not. Don't say but. that. <laughs> I was going to get upset. <laughs> oh, cut I'm that sorry. Off. It's yeah. a live stream, but cut that off. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> My apologies. Just a little dirt. No, she was just, it was just, like, to see the transition from her waking up in the dirty robe and, like, just like stumbling through and then men in white coats come and like yeah. take it out. Mm-hmm. and then the next scene when she's got like the purple hair which I'm not spoiling anything it's on the poster no. but mm-hmm. she's got like the purple like I guess it's purplish pinkish, yeah. pinkish purplish yeah. hair and like the wow what's the what's the the like the Lolita dresses yeah, that they're it's wearing kind of, you know? it's kind of it's kind of um, Shiro Lolita I guess it would kind of like but it was really cool uh, one thing I wanted to ask about it was the music in the yeah, film yeah that, that was yeah I, I was wondering about that um too. Yeah. Not simply the score, but like when they go and they do like the karaoke night and yeah. that sort of thing. That's the only reference I have it for is, it. Karaoke it is a night. Karaoke, yeah, yeah. Um, was that? <laughs> I was not familiar with it. Was that something that was original for the film, or was that music that had already existed prior to it? Yeah, we composed it for the film. Oh wow! Nice. Yeah, this yeah. is it's the first time in I want to say like a decade in which Emma sings in a film especially an original song mm-hmm. and uh, also uh, Aitha Gonzalez who obviously was a teen idol back in Mexico it's the first time that she's singing in a film also in quite some time so it was really interesting to like compose a song for both of them that could have like two sides in the opening is like really melancholy and dramatic and then when actually in this you know queer relationship that they have when Amarna sings it for Uma it's such like a sweet romantic beautiful moment uh, yeah I wanted I, I co-wrote those re- lyrics with Nacho and with Ryan and uh, I just wanted them to have that lyric also at the moment and the references for the rest of the music they're very electronic you know uh, mm-hmm. analogic synthesizers like uh, we love Delia Derbyshire, who composed one of the first uh, themes for Doctor Who, the opening theme. We love Morgan Son, <laughs> yeah, for the right in the yeah. 1960s as well. <laughs> Doctor Who guy. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and, uh, he, uh, you know, uh, we also love Morgan Son, who is a French composer from the 1970s who did an album that was all like electronic synthesizers, like the ones that our composer bought just to make the film, which is amazing. <laughs> but, um, sorry, analogic synthesizers. But at the same time, uh, uh, he composed an album called music to play your plants to your plants so yeah it's 
weird. Yeah, like, the music was amazing. Like, I mean, all throughout the people singing, even the score and all that, it really kind of tied in with all the visuals just yeah. beautifully. And uh, what what we're also wondering is just about this new upcoming film that you're yeah. doing, the new Scarlet film. <laughs> sure. So Scarlet, you know, I want to keep on working in the genre space, like science fiction, fantasy, horror, mm-hmm. terror, for as long as they will let me. So I, that is that as well. It's a genre film and it's a queer historical feature uh and um i can't really say anything else all right. because oh. it's netflix <laughs> well as we wrap up whatever the final <laughs> we we have some just a couple final questions like um ben did you have a final question so sorry no i just have some comments okay right, well, final uh, comments then. well yeah uh yeah i just thought for for my wife and i we we just thought it was it was really refreshing uh, uh, just to see, because we didn't know what we were getting ourselves into. That I, I didn't know really much about this film before they're like, hey, we're having the director on. I'm like, cool. And then they sent me a Vimeo link. And like I, wa- I was like, oh, I don't know. And then they're like, oh, yeah, by the way, it's coming out in theaters. I was like, oh, this, okay, so it's like a theater thing. So, yeah, okay. Yeah. But then we watched it, and we were just so impressed and we we were like I don't know what this is going to be and then we watched it and we were just like that was awesome the, <laughs> just like I said visually stunning the acting was great um, just the visual effects uh, when they were applied were yeah. really fantastic oh, the necklace thing that, that was yeah. pretty cool and, yeah absolutely yeah, and and then to also have a film with with very solidly written queer representation without mm-hmm. it being like oh yeah we're gonna make a movie about queer people in your face but it was just presented as part of the story as I would do that as, as well yeah <laughs> but, like, but but I liked that it was just part of the story and you just accept it as part of the story it's 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 not something that's supposed to be different it's just presented mm-hmm. as this is just part of the story and it's normal which mm-hmm. it should be and yeah, that's that, what that I appreciate about it mm-hmm. and so um, and it was a, a beautiful part of the story. A very beautiful yeah. part of the story too. Yeah, absolutely. And so, yeah, um, yeah I just I just enjoyed it a lot. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. Thank you so much. And you know, like as a queer person, I appreciate what you're saying because mm-hmm. it is a normal part of my life. Right. Exactly. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? It's like it's, it's about this yeah, about this revolutionary as you know doing my grocery shopping. Right. right. Exactly. <laughs> so, so, exactly. I'm like, so I'm like, why should it be any different for anyone else? And Precisely, I feel like yeah. half. Uh, happily, you know, Faith, uh, I'm glad that the world is changing in that sense, and I'm world, and I'm glad that we can, like, now make a young adult film that is genre, that is for a big mm-hmm. audience, but that at the same time, you know, it, it has a sort of representation. It's that's mm-hmm. important to me. And we were talking earlier. You were talking earlier about how, like, uh, that quote of mine, which says that, like, yeah, genre film, like, some of those characters have feminine traits. But here's the thing, like, I my screenwriters are men. You know, uh, and I really trusted Nacho to sort of bring my point of view into the story. I really love him, have known him for like seven years now. He's written some insane genre films that I love. Everyone watch Colossal if you haven't because you're for a treat. Yeah. And Hathaway, like playing a giant monster. Well. <laughs> and, uh, you know, like there is this tremendous tradition of, you know, men directing extraordinary uh, feature films that are in the genre space. And uh, when I talk about like you women stepping into that mm-hmm. world, I just want to say like it, you know, feminism is the equality between men and women, right? Like mm. it's supposed to be side by side. Like mm. there is no, <laughs> there is no struggle in in that sense between between us. And it was really important to me to you know like work with creators of or all genders. Some mm-hmm. of them happen to be women. Some of them happen to be men. Uh, yeah, that is kind of what I always sort of want to highlight because sometimes it feels like you need to say this extra thing 
So sure. it's and important. As we wrap, and this is yeah. my final question. Sure. Um, when we when when we first got yeah. the film and watched the film, and we the three of us were talking, yeah. yes, we need to wrap the show. But like, okay. as we was, <laughs> sorry, because we saw the film, and we said, "Uh oh, we have three straight white guys coming in to sit with you to talk with you about this film." Well, you know what? That was perfect. Yeah. I want you to, if you could say one thing, because I think that maybe some of the audience might be saying, mm-hmm. oh, wait, that film's this, or this film's that, and they might be <laughs> not want to see it, or they might want to see it. Yeah. I, I think the film has something for everybody. If you wanted to say something to the entire audience, to us specifically about, yeah. why, why would we get, what would people like us get from this film? Sure. Actually, it's funny because uh, the audience that like has enjoyed it the most, and we counted because we do have the statistics, is actually men that are like forty and over. Not to give it away. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, uh, so that that was surprising to us, but at the same time, it doesn't shock me because I really made, I was really careful to put something of myself in every character, mm-hmm. be, be it male or female. The worst villain in the story is a 40-something-year-old woman. The most positive influence in the protagonist is, you know, her dad, who is 50, sorry, who is a 50-year-old white man. So I don't think that we have to be radical and in, in the sense of, uh, uh, you know, when you have a f- film with both men and women, some of them are going to be horrible people and some of them are going to be wonderful people. It just so happens that I wanted to bring more women into this story. So some of the women are amazing, some of them are terrible. I would argue her mother is as much of yes. a bad person. Yes, as well. Yes. But like, you know, there's bad people, good people of all genders. Yeah. So I, it's just my way of saying, no matter who you are, you're going to love it and you're going to find someone to relate to. And that was part of my intention and my love for this story. Alice, thank you so much for coming <laughs> on this week. Everybody go out and see Paradise Hills. You guys will love it. You can find us on thekanguy.com. Where can we find you? I am at B-E-N-K-L-I-E-W-E-R. That's at Ben Cleaver on all social media. <laughs> And you can find me on Twitter at Cheese on Couch and also on theconguy.com. Check out our Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, and the social medias. Alice, where can we find you? Um, I'm Alice Webb in you know, Instagram and Twitter. That's oh. <laughs> the film, Paradise Hills, in theaters now and on digital and demand November 1st. Thanks, guys. We'll see you next time. Woo-hoo. From producers Maria Menunos, Kevin Undergaro, and the entire Popcorn Talk Network, we would like to thank you for tuning in. For questions or comments, be sure to visit popcorntalk.com. I'm Sir Richard Wentworth, and this has been a presentation of the Popcorn Talk Network. The views expressed herein are those of the hosts only and do not necessarily reflect the views of the Popcorn Talk Network or its owners or principals.